Welcome back to Unbossed. I am Ravana filling in for Senator Nina Turner today. And I just gotta say, I love that intro. It always gets me fired up, but I should simmer down because unlike the Senator, I do not have a handy dandy fire extinguisher on my desk. But we do have a great show for you today. We're gonna be talking about what Republicans have to say about the murder of Tyree Nichols. Is any of it productive? Absolutely not. We're also gonna talk about Utah banning gender affirming care for minors. And later in the show, we'll crown a new neoliberal in chief. So don't forget to subscribe, share the stream, and send some love in the comments. And today, we are joined by Jessica Burbank, TYT contributor. Jessica, really great to have you here today. Heck yeah, it's great to be here. We're not gonna swear, we're gonna have a good <laughs> clean day on Unboxed. Gonna keep those swears to ourselves, but we'll be saying them in our head as we go through some of these stories. Yes. Particularly this first story, which is so, so frustrating, so let's jump into this. So we on don't Friday, know the toxicology report. We don't know if this guy was on something that they hit him with the pepper spray and it just didn't really affect him. And we don't have an autopsy from the city, an official autopsy. Immediately, you know, I didn't see any any death blows. Maybe it was an accumulation of blunt force trauma to the head. On Friday, the nation waited for the horrific video of Tyree Nichols to be released. The brutal video showed a group of police officers beating the unarmed Nichols to death. Right wing pundits, however, wasted absolutely no time this weekend on their attacks of Nichols, as well as the protesters who were demanding justice and systemic change. And of course, they also downplayed the murder of Tyree Nichols. Does it bother you Something if you don't have the not. cops of a perspective at all? I mean, it looks overwhelming, I get it. But don't we need both sides? Well, These I were think evidently that's... elite cops. These weren't just fresh out of the academy. No, but they had a reputation and... for being extremely aggressive. We're going to get uh, their body cam crime. video, we'll know they... what they said, and then they will also have their day in court. When... <sighs> what you just heard was Jesse Waters claiming to have not seen any Death blows in the Tyree Nichols video. I guess he watched it with his eyes closed. Um, now we're not gonna make you watch the video of the fatal uh, beating footage of Tyree Nichols. But we do have some information for you that discusses what happened in the videos. So the Daily Beast reported the footage shows the cops pull Nichols over for a traffic stop before aggressively tossing him on the pavement as the, they shout threats and draw their guns. More footage shows cops repeatedly punching him in the head before pepper spraying him as he desperately called out for his mother. And I also just wanna point out something that happened in the video. You can see the police officers passing Nichols beaten body around so that each officer gets an opportunity to land blows on this man who's barely conscious at this point. It's truly, truly disturbing. But Waters, however, suggested that perhaps the police were not to blame for Nichols' death at all. In fact, Waters also said he was waiting to see the toxicology report on Nichols, as if anything in that report would justify the cops murdering him. And then, of course, there's also Brian Kilmeade, who wants to hear the police's side of the situation. Does it bother you if you don't have the not. cops of a perspective at all? I mean, it looks overwhelming. I get it. But don't we need both sides? Well, These I were think evidently that's... elite cops. These weren't just fresh out of the academy. No, but they had a reputation and... for being extremely aggressive. We're going to get uh, their body cam crime. video. We'll know they... what they said. And then they will also have their day in court. When... 
And the release of the footage sparked protests around the country, as I mentioned earlier. And of course, Tucker Carlson just had to chime in on that. So the very same people who are weeping on television about police brutality applauded when one of Nancy Pelosi's officers murdered an unarmed woman called Ashley Babbitt. Yes, murdered. That's exactly what that was. Far more clearly than anything you just saw in the videotape we played. Naturally, Tucker Carlson has to conflate this with what happened to Ashley Babbitt. But we also have this graph I wanna show you all that shows where in the country these protests were occurring or are still ongoing. As obviously the protesters calls for justice have not been fully answered yet. But unfortunately, the right wing nonsense didn't stop there. We got another clip of what Tucker Carlson's guest had to say. It was a group of young black men, five on one. Looked like gang violence to me. It, it looked like what young black men do when they're supervised by a single black woman. And that's what they got going on in the Memphis Police Department. They've elected some uh, or put some black woman in charge of the police force. And we're getting the same kind of chaos and disunity and violence that we see in a lot of these cities that are run by single mothers. Somehow, single mothers are to blame for Tyree Nichols's death. I mean, you just you can't make this stuff up coming out of Fox News. Now, I have more information on what the murderous cops have been charged with, but before we get to that, Jessica, I want to bring you in here on this. You know, they say the devil works hard, but Fox News works harder. What do you make of all this? Yeah, it turns out you can fight racism with racism. Fox News seems to believe. Ridiculous Jesse Waters is like, oh well, we, we haven't got the autopsy for this situation. It could have been Colonel Mustard in the study with a candlestick. Could be anything. Be so for real. Then to say a toxicology report is needed because conveniently Tyree would have OD'd the moment cops were beating him. The fact that the autopsy could say a number of things. It could say asphyxiation, it could say a blunt force trauma to the head, like he named. It could have been cardiac arrest, considering he was tased. And he was tased by a white officer, which they failed to mention. They say that this was five young black men beating on another man who is black. Um, I'm sorry, if this was uh, just this narrative of black on black violence, um, wouldn't the cops be, be hurting each other? No, it was everyone in uniform beating on someone who is not in uniform, who is a young black man. I mean, to ignore the root problem of white supremacy is exactly what they wanted to do. And it seems as though they just picked from the hat of uh, you know prejudice. Like, what are we gonna talk about today? Oh, it looks like single mothers. We're gonna somehow make this about single mothers. I really don't think it's much deeper than that when they decide, you know, how are we gonna make this about anything other than precisely what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I've seen coming from a lot of these right-wing pundits is this idea that, you know, left-wing activists and people demanding racial justice in this country are going to be silent on this because it wasn't a white officer, despite the fact that you mentioned there was a white officer involved. But I think the fact that, you know, the graph I showed you about the, you know, sparking of all these protests around the country sort of negates that argument, but they're still gonna run with it because they would never let facts get in the way of their ridiculous grift. Now, Jessica, you also mentioned the five officers who were charged who were black. So we have this picture of those officers who have been charged. So the first is Tadarius Bean, and we have Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. So I also have some more information on those arrests and what these murderers have been charged with. 
So from CNN, Martin III, Smith, Bean, Haley, and Mills Jr. have each been charged with second degree murder, aggravated assault, two charges of aggravated kidnapping, two charges of official misconduct, and one charge of official oppression. Um, so there's also an update Jessica mentioned earlier, there was a sixth officer who is white and he has been relieved of duty from Memphis News. We get this headline, sixth Memphis police officer involved in Tyree Nichols death relieved of duty. Memphis police officer Preston Hemphill, who was hired in 2018, was relieved of duty when MPD started their investigation into Nichols death. We also have a picture of that officer here. So that is Hemphill, who I will just note has not been charged, not yet. He was relieved of duty, but has not yet been charged despite being there and participating in the actions that led to Tyree Nichols's death. Um, so Jessica, what does this, you know, what does this mean for the people who are demanding justice, the protesters in the streets who are, you know, fighting for some, some systemic change? You know, these protests have been ongoing. You know, we think back to the George Floyd protests, but I mean, it's centuries, centuries of protesting to demand racial justice, to, to, to demand, you know, an end to police brutality. What is what is the outlook for those protests, in your opinion? You know, I think most people are now coming to terms with the fact that this is not an institution that can be reformed. This is not something where any amount of training or any policy changes will reform this. And more people are talking about abolition than before. And a lot of people think that that means, okay, there's gonna be no method of, of public safety. And really what this is about is most people don't feel safe right now. Many people will, will face a type of situation where traditionally you would say call the police. And people don't because they know that the situation would likely escalate if they did. So if we don't feel safe, Using this institution, the police, which is supposed to be an institution that protects and serves the public, which it doesn't and it never has. So I think more people are talking about what are alternatives to the police that will actually bring about public safety, which we don't have right now. It's not reimagining public safety, it's establishing it. And I think the more we center the conversation around that, rather than reforms, giving more money to the police and more training to the police, I think that's really end game now for everyone that's in the streets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There are a lot more people looking to abolition as, you know, a solution to this and they're, you know, moving away from calling the police in these instances. And there's a lot of misinformation or or bad information out there about abolition. Someone I would suggest looking to who I think condenses what the abolitionist movement is in like really understandable terms is Olaimi Olerin. Check her out on Twitter. She has a Substack. She writes articles about it. She's a public defender. Um just just a great individual. So um, we'll keep you updated on developments in this case, especially if this sixth white officer is charged. Um, but we have to move from some bad news to some more bad news with this next story. So Utah has become the first state in 2023 to ban gender affirming care for minors. Republican Governor Spencer Cox signed a bill Saturday to restrict minors access to the following. Gender cares that's being restricted, puberty blockers, hormones, and surgical procedures. So the Hill did some reporting on this new law. So the law will require medical providers starting July 1st to consider whether alternative medical treatments to gender affirming care would provide a minor with the quote best long term outcome. 
It will also require them to identify and document any physical or mental health condition and consider if treating those conditions before providing the care will give them the best outcome. So now I have some more information on this, but I just wanna stop there and say this, it won't. There doesn't need to be you know, extensive, like extensively further research onto this. We've done the research. People who are qualified to do the research have done the research. And that research all shows, which is why this is best practices for doctors now, that providing gender affirming care to trans youth and to trans adults creates the best long term outcomes. It drastically reduces depression in, in those people. It drastically reduces rates of suicidality. We know what the best possible care we can be providing for these people is. So this bill is, is attempting to justify you know, essentially limiting trans rights in this country with this completely fabricated idea that we don't know if it's the best practice. We know it's the best practice, so don't buy their BS for one second. And I'm not the only person giving backlash to this bill. There's lots of groups out there voicing their backlash against it. So back to the reporting from the Hill. The LGBTQ Victory Institute, which works to increase LGBTQ representation in government, condemned the ban in a release. They said it's a quote, symptom of gaps in LGBTQ representation in government. And to that point, Utah has only one openly LGBTQ state lawmaker. So this is not the only ban of this type, it's the first, but there's some coming down the road. So it's the first on in the wave of efforts to restrict transgender care. So let's look at some of those. Axios reported, and we can look at this headline, that there are 11 states considering bills to restrict transgender health care. So more from their report. More than two dozen bills targeting transgender health care have been introduced at the start of 2023 state legislative sessions. The new bills come after 2022 saw a wave of anti-transgender legislation nationwide, with at least 34 states introducing more than 145 anti-trans bills. So I have a little more information on why their argument that this is to protect children, that these are all in efforts to protect children is absolutely farcical. But Jessica, first I wanna bring you in and you know just hear your thoughts on this rampant attack on the transgender community. Yeah, there are so many other things you could be making legislation about, maybe delivering public goods for a change, talking about having better infrastructure in the United States where it's crumbling, maybe providing better schools for the children to go to. Instead, they wanna make paternalistic laws that don't actually protect children. And yeah, I'm excited to talk more about that after we get through this. Yep, so mentioned they're not actually trying to protect children. And we saw this tweet that I think really provide some evidence to that point. So this account tweeted out that Utah banned gender affirming healthcare for minors and purposefully did not include breast augmentations for cis teen girls in that ban. Ironic that these ghouls would call trans people groomers while saying that grooming cisgender teen girls to cater to pedophilic patriarchy is okay. Now I know that that tweet doesn't have you know any further information to support that, but we did check it out and that account was absolutely correct. So we can look at the language from this law that says that it's banning these, these types of care for an individual whose biological sex at birth is male, breast augmentation surgery, chest feminization surgery, or facial feminization surgery. 
or for an individual whose biological sex at birth is female, mastectomy, breast reduction surgery, chest masculinization surgery, or facial masculinization surgery. So explicitly carved out from that are cisgender young girls who are seeking breast augmentation surgery. So it's okay for people to get these types of surgeries so long. It's okay for, for young girls to get these surgeries so long as it is playing to male fetish. But God forbid a trans child who has you know gone through you know, suffered through this discrimination that trans people disproportionately face in this country, you know, wants to pursue a course of healthcare so that they their outward appearance can match who they are. That's not okay. But if a 14 year old girl, you know, we want, we are totally okay with her augmenting her body in a way that pleases the male eye. I mean, it's disgusting and it's brazen. And I also just want to point out that they ban for people who were female at birth mastectomies. You know, there are a lot of people who at young ages realize that they are high risk for breast cancer. And you know, you don't really see too many of those surgeries at a, under 18. But a lot of cis women choose to have mastectomies as a preventative measure from getting breast cancer. So that would also be banned by this law. They do not care about protecting people. They care about discriminating against trans people. And it's absolutely disgusting. Jessica. Yeah, what's interesting, same party, you know, Ron DeSantis and the like, that's saying parents get to choose how to raise their kids. Uh, talking about the rainbow flags being around, right? You don't want them exposed to LGBTQ plus ideas. You don't want the idea that they could grow up to be gay put in their heads from a very young age. You don't want to teach them critical race theory because apparently you want to raise your kids to be racist and uphold the racist institutions that you love so much. But if a parent wants to affirm their child's gender identity, they won't allow for that. So you think parents should have every right to raise their kids however they want, so long as it abides by your traditional values and beliefs. There are so many different ways parents can psychologically mess up their kids. They can force their kids to partake, you know, at the the lower end of the spectrum as far as severity. You know, you could make your kid play soccer, play sports they don't want to play and grow up to be a soccer player, right? You can make your your kid affirm with the the Catholic Church and now they're a Catholic. On the more severe end, right? You could sign up your child who's a minor to be a, a child actor or a child model, right? That has consequences later down the line for sure. You could also Sign up your child or sign away your child off as a spouse when they're a minor, as early as the age of, of 16 in Utah. This is legal in 43 states, but for some reason, the conservatives don't care at all about this. They never talk about child marriage, and yet they label transgender people and drag queens as groomers. In Utah, this is especially a problem. Having, having child brides, that is going to mess up their life forever. And moreover, it's oftentimes not a decision they're even equipped to make. And yet you're going to say, you know what, our focus is actually gonna be a child identifying with a certain gender. So you think they can't possibly know their own gender, but they can choose a husband or a wife. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, absolutely not, and I do just wanna, one last thing I, I want to highlight before we wrap up the story. They've banned puberty blockers. And of course, their justification is that oh, these aren't tested. But puberty blockers specifically have been tested for 
decades, almost over half a century, they've been giving them not to not just to trans children, but to people with precocious puberty or individuals with other sort of endocrine issues. They've been tested for a long time. And what we know is that the effects of puberty blockers are almost entirely reversible, but the effects of puberty are not. So you are now causing trans people to have to wait till later in life to get access to gender affirming care when they've already experienced the puberty of their assigned sex and they can't fully undo that. So you're just causing further issues down the road. But of course, the end game of this is to ban all gender affirming care, not just for children, but for everybody. And we heard Matt Walsh say that we've heard all of these, you know, children's rights, protect the children people. That is the aim of this. And we need to sound the alarm now because this is a civil rights issue. And if we don't stand up against this, it's just gonna get so much worse. So we have to go to a break, but stick around because we'll be right back. Welcome back to Unbossed, and I want to remind you all, don't forget to spin the wheel. Sign up and win up to $100 in prizes when you become a new annual member at tyt.com spin. When you join as an annual member, you'll get to spin the wheel to win awesome prizes like the Unbossed t-shirt. I know you all want that if you don't already have it. You could also win a $100 gift card to Blue Apron or so many other prizes. So make sure to check it out. Also want to remind everybody that Representative Ro Khanna joins Jenk on the conversation tomorrow, January 31st. You can tune in at 5.30 PM Eastern Time, 2.30 Pacific on tyt.com slash live. And because I'm in Chicago, I'm also just gonna say 4.30 Central Time. I know you probably heard this, but I'm gonna reiterate what you probably heard on the other shows. The watch list is moving to a new time starting the 6th of February. We'll be going live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. So check out JR's show, it's wonderful. Jessica's on it, I'm on it, it's great, we love JR. So make sure make sure <laughs> to check it out at its new time. Be right after Unbossed starting next Monday. Now let's get to some of your wonderful, wonderful comments. From the TYT member section, Speed Racer says Ravana is a great fill-in host. And of course, Jessica is always here on Mondays and is always great as well. Well, thank you so much. That's so nice. <laughs> Ravana is great, Jessica is also here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, all right, from Twitch, Suckle Dragon, thank you so much for subscribing for 21 months. You are a rock star, that's awesome, that's crazy. Um, but they said, hey, hey, Ray, love you. Oh, well, I love you too. Um, and then from YouTube, we got Not Equip who said, wow, Ray and Jess, this is gonna be a killer show. And it is going to be a killer show indeed. So why don't we get back to the news? In the fight for affordable housing and renters rights, Biden sided with the landlords, which makes you say WTF neoliberals. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. I have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Let's start off with this tweet from Revolving Door Project. They did some wonderful coverage of, of Biden's capitulation to the landlords. So, so let's begin there. And they had to say, 
New corporate landlords are celebrating Biden's weak new renter protection plan, openly boasting that their lobbying efforts stopped the White House from issuing a more powerful executive order to immediately crack down on rent gouging. And when the landlords are celebrating, that is not a good sign for the renters. So for a year, tenant organizers and housing experts have been urging President Biden to strengthen federal tenant protections. Back to the revolving door project. Millions of working families across the country are struggling to cope with the soaring cost of rental housing. Sky high rents are a core driver of overall inflation. Rent is also the single biggest line item in the average American family's monthly budget, something they are unable to cut back on without being thrown out of their homes. So the landlords want more money, the renters want a place to stay. The stakes are not exactly even here. So the Biden administration was given the opportunity to enact new restrictions on rent hikes and punish landlords they accuse of price gouging. But the lobbying groups won. So these lobbying groups, I got some names for you, include the National Multifamily Housing Council, the National Association of Realtors and the National Apartment Association. So these lobbying groups quickly moved to block the executive order, lobbying the White House to oppose any policies that would immediately crack down on rent gouging at federally supported rental properties. So the tenant organizers sent the White House a list of 14 essentials they hope to see in the Biden administration's final plan. So we can look at what those were. So what they were asking for was for the Biden administration to protect tenants from unfair, unjust and unaffordable rent hikes, fines and fees. They wanted the Biden administration to expand and enforce tenant protections as well as to address the consolidation of the rental market. So only a handful of these partially survived, not in, not in its entirety, just partially survived into the final plan. And none of them are taking effect immediately. But the landlords got what they wanted. So let's take a look at what they've got. The Biden administration has apparently decided to assume that corporate landlords are good faith actors with their tenants best interests at heart. Despite all the evidence to the contrary and just plain common sense. The best the Biden administration offered is industry approved non-binding measures that kick the can down the road. So I know a lot of the people watching are somewhat familiar with what I do. I work in disability discrimination law, do civil rights cases for disabled people. Almost all my clients are facing a housing issue. And I get a lot of calls from disabled individuals who are asking or they're telling me essentially, my landlord is going to jack up the price of my apartment once my lease is up. I can't move, I can't find affordable housing, I can't find accessible housing, what can you do? And so often I have to tell them, I can't do anything. My hands are tied, I'm sorry that under the current laws, under a lot of the regulations, especially where where I'm working out of, they have the right to do it. Arbitrarily raise your rent to force you out of your housing, you know, to get upper class, richer tenants in and these, People are faced with homelessness so often because it's, first of all, when you're kicked out of your current living situation, when you have to find a new apartment, that search is a lengthy one and a difficult one. Because now you're being forced to move from communities you've lived in maybe your entire life into a new area that's more affordable for you. And then the process just continues. 
then those landlords will try to jack up the prices and you're pushed further and further out. And we see people being forced to move from communities that they have deep ties to, neighborhoods where they've lived into new neighborhoods just to be kicked out of those further and further, all for the wealth of these property management companies and for the greed of these landlords. This is a serious issue. President Biden had the opportunity to stand up for tenants, to stand up for renters and simultaneously address the inflation crisis. And instead, of course, he sided with the landlords. Jessica, I know that housing rights is, is a major issue for you. What are your thoughts on, on Biden's failure here? Yeah, yeah, housing rights, I think an issue for everybody right now, considering inflation's been increasing at a rate of about 7% where our latest numbers from December. But housing inflation, rent inflation is at about 14%. So outpacing the market, which goes to show that landlords are not increasing you know, these rents because they're improving upon the buildings. They're not doing so to make up for their additional costs of inflation. They're doing it because they can, because they can make money off of it, which is a terrible reason. They've done the very, very hard work of keeping a document that gives them the rights to the house or the apartment complex, you know, in their closet, right? Unfortunately, the majority of landlords in the United States are not doing anything to keep up these properties. If anything, they hire other people to do that. It's the case more often than not. And so these people are just making so much money off of others need for shelter, which when you break it down, doesn't make a lot of sense. People have to pay to exist in the United States and pay for shelter. It's human beings adapted to work together so that we can provide each other housing, not so that we can make each other bankrupt and on the streets if they can't afford the exorbitant costs, which leads to this being a fundamental workers issue and one that only the government can solve. There's this old dialogue between Walter Ruther and someone who was an executive or managed person at Ford. It's rumored that it was Henry Ford II, but I don't think it was. And he asked Walter Ruther, he said, you know, how are you gonna get the robots that are doing the labor to pay union dues? And Walter Ruther said, well, well, how are you gonna get them to buy the cars? And there's always this dilemma in a capitalist economy where it's like, we're gonna raise prices exponentially, but not increase your wages. So who's gonna be able to afford housing? Who's gonna be able to afford groceries? No one, no one's gonna be able to participate. And it's the government's job to regulate it. And time and again, they're saying, you know what? We're not gonna do that. And so what's inevitable in this condition? It's, it's collapse of our economy. Absolutely, I mean, housing is a human right, or at the very least it should be making disgusting amounts of wealth for your property management company and your shareholders is not. But of course, that's the team that Joe Biden decided to support. Um, so we gotta move on to this next story. Netanyahu's return to power in Israel is creating all types of chaos. Watch this. <laughs> What you just saw was footage of an Israeli drone strike against an Iranian defense facility. So Common Dreams did some really good reporting on this. So here's some more details from them. Unnamed US officials on Sunday confirmed suspicions that Israel was behind the weekend drone attack on a purported military facility in the Iranian city of Isfahan. Heightened concerns that the far right government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is gearing up for a broader assault on Iran as international nuclear talks remain at a standstill. 
So the New York Times reported that the drone attack, which Iran says it mostly thwarted, was quote, the work of the Mossad, Israel's premier intelligence agency, according to senior intelligence officials who were familiar with the dialogue between Israel and the United States about the incident. So Jamal Abdi, who is the president of the National Iranian American Council, expressed deep concerns about this attack. So what he had to say was this attack or this latest act of sabotage conducted via military attack inside Iran is a dangerous escalation and should be cause for concern for everyone who opposes war. War will only further empower the most violent and repressive forces inside Iran at the expense of ordinary Iranians demanding freedom and will embolden reactionary elements in Iran, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States. And that's a tale we've seen many times with the United States military intervention, particularly in the Middle East. So Jamal's absolutely right. And meanwhile, in Pakistan, tragedy has rocked the nation. And I just want to give a heads up here that some of this footage is going to be tough to watch. This is the aftermath of a suicide bombing at a crowded mosque in Pakistan's Peshawar. More than 40 people died in the attack on Monday, according to city officials, in the latest violence targeting police in the northwestern city. Hospital officials said scores were wounded, with many of them in a critical condition. A police official said that there were at least 260 people in the mosque when the explosion happened. A Pakistan Taliban group has taken responsibility from the Washington Post. The blast, one of the deadliest terror attacks ever on Pakistani forces, was claimed by two officials of the Pakistani Taliban, an extremist militia that has waged war between the government for years and recently broke off a truce that had been negotiated last summer. It has a close alliance with the Afghan Taliban, now ruling Afghanistan but operates independently. So we just talked about the warning from Jamal about how war causes the most extremist organizations within a country to gain power and act with impunity. And I think there's no better example than that than the Taliban. I also want to remind everybody that former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is currently enjoying his book tour and not in prison, shockingly, helped increase recent destabilization in this region. So from Slate, like many other Republicans who now profess anguish over the Taliban's victory, Pompeo supported the United States withdrawal. But he didn't just endorse the pullout, he directed it. He cut a deal with the Taliban to remove all American troops and to release Taliban fighters from Afghan prisons. He vouched for the Taliban's assurances, even as the insurgents stage hundreds of deadly attacks. So. This is what we would call failed diplomacy. Putting faith in a terrorist organization is not diplomacy. Obviously, it is utter chaos. But with the conflict between Israel and Palestine growing, and now Israel throwing a strike onto Iran in the mix and terrorist attacks on the rise, it would be wise for the Biden administration to jump into action and lead the discussion on actual diplomacy. Military action is not diplomacy. The US has had no problem intervening in these regions with tanks and weapons of war. So it's time to come at it with a different approach. Sit down with the sound minds and try to find a resolution instead of sending more military efforts because the United States has a strong relationship with Israel. And what this is indicating is an impending war with Iran, between Israel and Iran, and the strong relationship the United States has with Israel. And the not so strong relationship it has with Iran 
leads people to believe reasonably that the United States would get involved in a war in some capacity if it does come to that, which it's highly likely now that it will. Jessica, diplomacy is not happening. The timing could not be worse for Jordan Peterson. Mr. Kermit the Frog has said that Donald Trump should have won a Nobel Peace Prize because of the Abram Accords, which led to formal diplomatic relations with Israel and the recognition of Israel and many countries in the Middle East, fundamentally reframing their idea of Iran as a threat, which does not make them an ally of the United States to some degree. You know, it does when we think about how things are shaping up in the Middle East today. What's interesting is you have an uprising of citizens in Iran that are demanding you know, a new constitution, a new government, an uprising of citizens in Israel as well, demanding a new government, denouncing Netanyahu. And so it's interesting that countries can be at war with each other and it's really at the end of the day, just their military state departments and intelligence agencies with the general public not consenting to the war whatsoever, not to mention the Taliban. Were the Mujahideen, they're the modern, you know, iteration of the Mujahideen, which was trained and armed by the CIA. And so, so many of the problems that the United States is facing in the Middle East, and so much of the violence in the Middle East in general, is caused by the United States intervening in things that they have no business intervening in. Absolutely, and and of course, the United States has not exactly allied itself with you know the most reasonable nations. I mean, for the love of God, Israel is one of our strongest allies, and it's a country that is currently enforcing an apartheid system, and you know has the largest open air prison of the Palestinian people. So we'll keep an eye out on this. Continue to urge for diplomacy and not military action. But we do have to go to a break, but stick around. We'll have much lighter stories after this. Welcome back to Unbossed. And I'm gonna one more time remind all of you to spin the wheel and sign up and went up to $100 in prizes when you become a new annual member at tyt.com slash spin. When you become an annual member, you'll get to spin that wheel. You can win awesome prizes like unbossed t-shirts, lots of other really cool merch, $100 gift card to Blue Apron, and there's so much more on there. So make sure to do it. Go to tyt.com slash spin, sign up if you have not already. Okay, let's look at what you are all saying. You've heard what we have to say, but I wanna hear what you have to say. So from the members section, Mickey C says, first the railway workers, now the landlords. Is everyone feeling safe from the Republicans cutting Social Security and Medicare? Biden supported cutting them at least five times while Senator Biden yet again siding with the big corporations. And you're exactly right. I mean, Biden hasn't done a lot to, you know, help out with our fears that he's gonna, you know, deliver on the promises that he made back when he was a senator. Those promises would be objectively terrible for the majority of Americans. And then from Twitch, Cutman says Biden is exactly the kind of president every single progressive warned he would be. A terrible one who would do as little as possible to help working people. It's the neoliberal way and that is why he had a say in WTF neoliberal today. Something else that might have you saying WTF is this next story. So McDonald's president Joe Erlinger thinks livable wages are quote job destroyers. You just, you can't make this stuff up. Look at this headline. I think it really speaks for itself. 
Let's pull that up. McDonald's president who made $7.4 million last year says proposal to pay fast food workers $22 an hour is quote costly and job destroying. Oh my God. So he wrote an open letter attacking the FAST Act, which is also known as AB 257, which is a law that was supposed to be enacted in California. Before we go any further into what that idiot had to say about it, here is what's at stake. So Business Insider reported that AB 257, dubbed the FAST Act, signed into law last year, could raise hourly restaurant wages to $22 an hour in the state. The open letter was published after the state approved a referendum backed by fast food chains that would put the law up for a vote in November 2024. The law was previously set to be enforced on January 1st, but until the vote, State officials can't implement the law. So some more on that, AB 257 creates a 10 member council of fast food workers, franchisees and franchisors, advocates for fast food employees and representatives from the governor's office. The council will establish minimum standards on wages, working hours and other working conditions related to the health and safety of workers. The law applies to food chains with more than 100 locations, including Starbucks, Wendy's, Burger King and McDonald's. So what we know and what we've seen with especially when it comes to Starbucks and the unionization efforts of Starbucks employees lately is that these companies don't have the best interests of their workers at, at heart. I mean, if you can even say that these companies have a heart, I think that it would be a, you know, a little bridge too far to say that. But the the bill is that the law is about fair wages and workers rights, which apparently Joe Erlinger thinks is bad for business. Of course, he thinks that it means actually having to look after the workers who work more than he does and make him millions of dollars. So from his statement, the state is teaching us a powerful lesson about what our future could look like if this one-sided style of democracy is mimicked elsewhere or goes unchecked in the golden state. And there are big important issues that need the attention of lawmakers implementing costly and job destroying legislation like AB 257 is not the answer. Of course, he only has his best interest at heart, does not give a crap about his workers. Um, and evidence of that, <laughs> that absolutely undermines what he's trying to say. Uh, we can just look at McDonald's workers in Europe. So Matt Brudig uh, wrote about this for Jacobin. And he says that McDonald's workers in Denmark Receive $22 an hour. Weird that McDonald's hasn't completely self imploded and collapsed from that, like the CEO said it would. Um, they get six weeks of vacation and sick pay. This compensation comes on top of the general slate of social benefits in Denmark, which include child allowances, health care, child care, paid leave, retirement, and education through college, among other things. So of course, Jessica, no surprise to us that someone who has a financial interest in oppressing his workers is gonna make a statement like this, but I just think it's so egregious. The Hamburglar is doing wage theft. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how can you make $7.4 million in one year as one employee and be like the workers are lazy and greedy for asking for $22 an hour? Here's a deal, buddy. If you wanna pay workers so little and give them so little benefits, how about you pay corporate profit tax 
And instead, you know, we give people good public social services with those tax dollars. We give them healthcare so you don't have to provide it. We give them good schools, good transportation so they don't have to spend a bunch of money on a car. I mean, we could work things out that way, but they won't agree to that either because at the end of the day, they are the greedy and lazy ones. If their workers don't show up for their shift, they make zero dollars. If a CEO doesn't show up to the office that day to push their paper, no one notices. I guarantee you not one person will say, you know what? The McDonald's CEO was out today. You will make zero dollars if the people who work cooking the food in a McDonald's and running the McDonald's don't show up. Like, Who is the real lazy one? It turns out it's the people making the most money, but they want you to believe the workers who are asking for more are lazy, ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. And I just want to highlight before we move on that those workers in Denmark aren't making $22 an hour because of you know a state mandated minimum wage. They're making $22 an hour because of strong union representation that negotiated those terms for their, their, uh, their work with McDonald's. So of course, we don't have a strong union protection in the United States, but unions are a big help in uh, for workers rights. Okay, let's get back to this moron Joe. So <laughs> what Joe's solution is, of course, it's not raising the wages of his workers, making their conditions better. No, his solution is robots. So let's pull up this headline from The Guardian. Touch screens, conveyor belts, McDonald's opens first largely automated location. Test restaurants near Fort Worth, Texas has drawn ire of activists calling for a living wage. but. McDonald's Joe and his company aren't alone in their war on livable wages. Of course, he's not the only greedy head of a corporate fast food chain. CNN reported that Chipotle, Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, In-N-Out Burger, and KFC owner Yum Brands each donated $1 million to save local restaurants, a coalition opposing the law. Other top fast food companies, Business groups, franchise owners, and many small restaurants have criticized the legislation and spent millions of dollars opposing it. So they're against the workers being able to, you know, feed themselves after they feed, you know, so many other people in their jobs. Let's just take a look at these corporations' third quarter earnings from just one fast or some from these fast food chains. So Chipotle, 2.2 billion, McDonald's, 3.44 billion, Starbucks. 8.4 billion in and out, 575 million. But God, we just can't afford to pay our workers a living wage. You know, God forbid our workers be able to afford rent in the places where they're working. But what this comes down to, and I'm sure you've already gotten there, is corporate greed. McDonald's and these other fast food chains are just displaying the most disgusting example of corporate greed. And they're doing it very vocally, very publicly very egregiously, and they're desperately holding on to their profits while putting the people who make those profits for them on the chopping block. Jessica, I'll let you get the last word in here on this. Last word on this is the hamburglers doing wage theft. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so watch your back, the hamburglers coming for you. All right, let's move on to this next story. I'm a big WNBA fan, so I like this story. So we all know about the gross inequities between the NBA and the WNBA. Now WNBA all-star Brianna Stewart 
is looking to make a dent in some of those inequities. So let's check out this tweet from free agent Stuart, who is yeah currently in the process of free agency. Um, I would love to be a part of a deal that helps subsidize charter travel for the entire WNBA. I would contribute my NIL posts plus production hours to ensure we all travel in a way that prioritizes player health and safety, which ultimately results in a better product. Who is with me? And for anyone who is, you know, a sports fan or engages with women's sports online, I don't, you know, I, you would expect a certain type of response to a woman athlete demanding more equality. Shockingly, the responses were very strong, most of them positive. So let's pull this, these responses up that she got to her tweet. A lot of people raising their hands up, saying that I am with you, which is fantastic. <sighs> nice departure from what female athletes usually receive online in the comment section. But let's get into more of this issue with charter flights and how it's going to provide the WNBA players with such a basic necessity. So Insider reported that the teams have long traveled from game to game on commercial flights, a reality that's resulted in countless nightmarish trips and endless hours crammed into coach for the world's best basketball players each season. ESPN also reported on this and they said that unlike the 30 NBA teams, the 12 WNBA teams currently travel on commercial airlines, except in rare circumstances. While Commissioner Kathy Engelbert has pledged to address the issue, there's been no meaningful progress or timeline for implementing charter air travel in the near future. So a little bit more from ESPN. The New York Liberty, one of the four teams courting Stewart and free agency, were fined a record $500,000 for chartering flights during the 2022 season. Currently, the WNBA and its owner have decided that no team can fly charter, even if its ownership can pay for it unless all teams can afford to fly charter. It is estimated that chartering travel for all teams would cost close to 30 million. And by the way, here is, you know, because we'd love to show you the numbers, the current net worth of just five of the top richest WNBA owners. Got 5.9 billion, 5.4, 4.5, 2.4, and $2 billion. Those are billions with a B, not millions with an M. Literally one of those owners could afford to pay for charter flights for the entirety of the WNBA for years to come. And you know, this is just one of the instances, one of the ways that the, the WNBA and more broadly, you know, women athletes see this type of disparity in the treatment that they have versus their male counterparts. And I'll just say this, I played basketball all my life. When I was in high school, a WNBA player came to my school and you know, she told us. Don't pursue a career as a professional athlete, as a woman, because she had to work multiple jobs. She wasn't just a WNBA player professionally. She also had to have a second job so that she could provide for her family as a single mother. I mean, and if that isn't telling about the deep, deep inequities that these female athletes who are at the top of their game are experiencing, I don't know what is. Jessica? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen a player in the NBA. Uh, give birth, like bring life into the world, and then come back and have a double double game. It's happened in the WNBA, though. I mean, it's just crazy how many obstacles players in the WNBA have to overcome, uh, and they're paid so much less. And this whole argument that you'll hear 
Oftentimes from people who have never played the sport of basketball, they'll say, well, if you watch an NBA game, you'll see that it's much harder. It's not true. There are so many people I know who played professional basketball, who watch the women's game and remark at how much more technically complex it is and how much more communication needs to happen and how much more complicated their plays are on a regular basis. That so much so that they learn from watching women play the sport. And so it's shocking to me that the only reason we're in this situation is because of patriarchy, right? Is because sports were traditionally excluding women from being allowed to participate and play them at all. Like it's just the path dependency of that. That's the only reason men's basketball is so much more commercialized than women's basketball. And when you think about that, you have to consider, okay, so it's the people who own the teams and the people who own the networks that are responsible for this continued division. They're completely fine with it. It doesn't need to be this way. And it's a decision that it is. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there. And I do just want to jump ahead in the story a little bit so that I can highlight the things that professional male basketball players have been saying and the support that they've been giving. So let's take a look at what Kyrie Irving had to say about the charter jet issue. You gotta get something done. And I'm and I'm with them um, no matter how much it costs, you know, per se. I think we could all collectively come together and make something um, very doable happen. And we just wanna have our ladies have peace of mind while they're playing. Um, they don't need to be overseas all the time. They need to be here playing in front of their families every single day doing what we do. Um, so I, I think it's a, a lesson learned right now of how we can attack this as, as a family. Because W and, and the NBA, we're a family. Um, and I think things will be figured out before the season gets started. So I'm very optimistic about that. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar also voiced his support on Twitter. He said, been there, done that, and played at the highest levels. Today's NBA players never had to deal with the effects of commercial travel on their bodies. I'm all for WNBA players getting equal rights. Congrats, Brianna, for raising this issue. So we have here the the men at the highest level of basketball, you know, who are supporting the women. And I really think that that should just shut up all of the people who have never touched a basketball in their life, you know, with Twitter fingers, trying to undercut this message from the women and these demands from the women that they deserve more equality in their sport. Now, Jessica, last word on this. Yeah, I mean, I love that Kyrie is using his platform to weigh in on this. And it's unfortunate that it takes a viral moment for something to be done. We saw the same thing happen during March Madness when members of the the women's teams were posting on TikTok because they had a TikTok presence. They could get people to pay attention to it. It's just unfortunate that it comes to that, that they're not willing to do the right thing unless there's so much public pressure that they'll lose business if they don't. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today on Unbossed. It's been wonderful. Everybody make sure to go check out Jessica's work. Um, And that's all the time we've got, but it's been fun with all of you. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.